Hello, hello and welcome to another episode of Putting It Together. This is Brian O'Sullivan here bringing you episode number 276 of this podcast and thanks very much for joining me. Thanks also to the people who've donated in the last week and over time. Um, It makes such a difference and it's so appreciated. It's also anything like that, whether it's financial or social media or little comments when I meet people, anything like that just reminds me, you know, that, that you're listening. Um, and that it's it's having a positive impact and that's really what I want. So it's great to hear that people are listening, that they're enjoying it. Um, and yeah, like I say, that it's having an impact. That's what we want. So thanks very much. This week, my guest is Andy Manning and I've just had the most wonderful conversation with them. It's It's been enlightening for me. Um, I want, I mean, I want to talk to as many people, of course, on this show as possible. But sometimes a guest comes in and there's something very high on the agenda because it's a big part of their life or their practice or their personality. For example, and to take the present example, gender and pronouns and gender, performing gender and, and discovering gender and the, the whole journey. Um, it's a conversation we've not had much on this show yet and I, I was so excited to, to finally get into it. And I feel like I've really just been through a great process and I've learned some bits and I've been able to well I like to hear things from other people's perspective that's the whole thing about this show isn't it because I could sit every week and talk to you but you you know me by now and you hear a lot of I have you know a way of doing things a way of talking about things so the great thing about the show is getting guests on and hearing about their way of doing things their way of living their way of working and all the stuff that makes them uniquely them so that's what's happening this week a wonderful conversation with a fascinating person and I'm just, yeah, I'm pretty overjoyed at how it's turned out and I hope that you enjoy it. Um, I also really appreciate Andy taking time over their lunch break to come and talk to me um, because we're here at National Theatre of Scotland and we're there's three or four productions all rehearsing at the same time, which is a wonderful thing because the building does feel really alive. I'm rehearsing my show and other people are rehearsing their shows and it gave me the chance to to corner Andy and say I know we've barely met but please would you come on my podcast and I've done it many times and it's often worked out well and this time it really has so make sure now you're giving us a wee follow on social media it's pitccpod on Instagram Twitter and Facebook give us a follow um, like share do all those things it's really appreciated and a wee, a wee tweet or a wee Instagram story or a wee Facebook post about how you think the show's great and you know whatever you think really goes a long way So that would be much appreciated. And another thing is I would like to remind you that I'm doing my new show, which is Uh Aha, The Janice and Frank Story 2022. And it's going to be on from the 9th to the 16th of September, various venues across the Central Belt, Stirling, Greenock, Falkirk and Glasgow. Three nights at the Oran Moor and the the third night, which is the final performance of this little run, that's nearly sold out now. So um, best availability on the Wednesday and Thursday, which is the 14th and 15th of September, if you're coming to the Glasgow dates. But if you're outside Glasgow or you fancy a jaunt, then let me tell you that it's lovely that we get to perform in some of these little studios and uh, venues around the place. I've never performed in Falkirk before. I'm really excited about that. So if you're from the East Coast or you fancy a jaunt to Falkirk, come and see me at Falkirk Theatre, Falkirk Town Hall. And all the details are in my link tree, which is link tree slash bridal hingway, which is link trees written link tr.ee. But anyway, 
It's Linktree. You can get me on all social media, Bridal Hingby, B-R-I-D-O-H-I-N-G-W-Y. And you can come and see me at any of those venues and I would really appreciate it. Really appreciate it because um, it's a scary thing, making your own thing and selling it and hoping that people will come and see it and appreciate it. It's terrifying and wonderful and I hope you'll come out and support me. So listen, I think it's about time for our guest of the week. I've already told you who it is and how excited I am, so it just remains for me to say it's Andy Manning there with me and we are putting it together. Oh, the protein. I had the protein. How's yeah. the protein going? It's going good. Yeah, it's good. It's a lot. You're building up? I'm doing it. I'm doing okay. Yeah. What What made you decide to do that? I think I I started just after lockdown, our shorter New Zealand lockdown. Um, oh, you were over there during the lockdown? Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. I went just before COVID. And it was nice. It was, I had a lot of friends around me who went to the gym, but I never... And I was, you know, I enjoyed jogging and cycling and stuff, but... um. It's just fun to be able to count it. <laughs> just like yeah, yeah. watch the weights go up every week and it's it's quantifiable, you yeah, know, yeah. and it's trackable and there aren't a lot of ways to look after yourself that have that benefit. There's also very little in the world that's quantifiable or trackable. Right, right? yeah, yeah. So we feel we don't have control over yeah. so so much stuff, right? It's cool. It's numeric. <laughs> it's, I like that. Yeah, yeah I get that. Mm. I'm doing this working on my tour just now and I'm in charge of everything mm. so one of the things I've become obsessed about is the numbers and mm. the spreadsheets mm. and actually I'm not that type of person usually but mm. it's the thing I can control yep. I can keep an eye on it and yeah. obsessively check yeah yeah <laughs> so when did you come over from New Zealand so I came over for uh, to study to do my masters in 2018 right and I spent a bit of time in the UK holidaying and sort of visiting uh-huh. people and there's a really strong Kiwi contingent in London yeah um, and then I moved over to, to Glasgow in September or August 2018. Right. And you had studied in New Zealand before then? Yeah, yeah. I did my undergrad as a performer as like a, in like a musical theatre college. Oh, musical theatre? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So what kind of stuff were you into at that time? So I was always a musician from a kid. I played played instruments from a really young age. I played wind, so clarinet and saxophone as a kid, and then sung a lot and played a bit of piano and a bit of guitar. Oh, I've seen you play the sax, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Of course, in, in Crocodile Rock. I always try to g- get showmakers and directors to let me play sax in a show, and they're usually like, no, why? <laughs> why would we do that? See, I play accordion, and I'm always trying to avoid it. Uh, and they always want me to use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, that. <laughs> accordion is actually practically pretty useful, though, for accompanying people and stuff. Saxophone just kind of sucks all the energy up. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it takes its own space up, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's like, now it's about the saxophone. Yeah, yeah, yeah fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so you came over to do the which masters? The masters in music direction. In music of direction. Music theater, yeah. Right. Okay. So as a musician, as a kid, I kind of got into acting after that, and then found music theater to be a really nice combination of both those things. Yeah. But I didn't know what a music director was. I, yeah. I didn't know, or at least I didn't know it could be something that could be done full time as a freelancer. Yeah. And when I was at school, when I was at at university, one of my lecturers was like, "Oh, you like you could be a music director. You've got the right skill set." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What's that?" <laughs> I didn't even know what that was. Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was early days, and then once I found out, I was like, "Oh yeah, I could do that," and then kind of just started pushing to do that, and did it a lot in New Zealand mm-hmm. after I graduated, and had a couple of people who helped me out a lot and sort of pushed me into stuff and taught me a lot, and then I really have always had always wanted to move to the UK, 
And there's nowhere you can study your master's in music direction really in the Southern Hemisphere in the same way that you can up here. Yeah. And it's still relatively new here as a, right. as a course of study. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, I didn't want to go to the States. Yeah. And I, I had, a, it's a lot easier for a Kiwi to live and work in the UK than anywhere else. Yeah. Because yep. there's a lot of Commonwealth visas and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so tried all the schools out and, and I got into all the ones I auditioned for and picked RCS because I, I just liked it. And I you liked, got into them all. Yeah. And Fair I, play. Yeah. And nice. I liked Glasgow and I liked the content at RCS and I think it, mm-hmm. it matched me well and here we are. So if you were if you were being a musical director already mm. and then you went on and did this course, what do you think, if you could boil it down, mm. what do you think that study, that extra study gave you? I think, I th- I think that like practically there's... Um, I was really reluctant to just pack a bag and move overseas without having any kind of way to get in a foot in the door anywhere. Uh, of course, yeah. That didn't make a lot of sense to me. That that was where I was approaching it at, be like, I'll, I'll learn some more skills and I'll I'll be able to sort of segue into some work. It's a move, isn't it? It's like a... Which, which worked, but mm-hmm. also, like, I think I maybe underestimated how much I still had to learn as an MD. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as a kid, I was like 25 and thought I was shit hot. <laughs> That's what it is to be in your 20s, though. Yeah, and then got there and was like, holy shit, and was with three other MDs who are all really excellent as well, mm. and all my tutors were really, really good, and I was like, oh, I'm not very good, actually. Wow. In a good way, it was like a, it yeah. was really nice to be like, oh, I've got heaps to learn, and, and then got to examine my practice really closely, mm. you know, with a magnifying glass, and be surrounded by other people who are doing the exact same thing. Because yeah. music direction, a lot, a lot like directing is a solitary position yeah it's usually just you in a show and to have other people around me who talk the exact same language and who could like identify with the exact same problems i was having was really instructive as well of course and rare and it's so the minutiae is so specific it's like man i can never get singers to come off the major seventh down onto the sixth without going flat and they were like yeah i know oh <laughs> wow like people don't so specific so specific and, and yeah, people yeah, don't yeah. get that so so That's it was cool. It was really nice, yeah. And then, do you? I mean, I've noticed that directors and MDs tend to often end up taking a pastoral kind of a role. Yeah, you know, because especially with singing, because people it wakes things up in people. Totally. Do you find that as as time goes on, you find more able to cope with it? I mean, how is that? I think so. I think the reason I wanted one of the reasons the MDing appealed to me when I was studying at drama school was because I wanted to help the people around me, the actors around me. I wanted to help them get jobs and I wanted to help them be better and interpret the score. And I realized I could do that and I sort of spent a lot of time at drama school accompanying my classmates and Mm -hmm. helping them out with things and helping them interpret music. And I realized that was really valuable and it was a really scary part of music theater for a lot of people yeah it's been given a piece of sheet music and being like oh fuck i can't like i don't know how to get around this or i need help i need guidance yeah Yeah. and so making that more accessible to people it was a big part of why i wanted to do it david who is a my supervisor at at rcs and my master's program describes music direction as middle management which i kind of (laughs) love because you're you're not really in charge of very much Mm. you've got a pretty specific purview and you've got the director and producers and sometimes choreographers on top of you in the command chain and you've got the actors below you mm. and you're kind of tasked with making all of that make sense and you're there the whole time like the stage manager you're there from the first day of rehearsals to closing night mm-hmm. and you and the sm are usually the only people who are there 
for the whole stage management team yeah for the whole thing and so you kind of are alongside the cast for their journey yeah but you're even there pre-production because you're you're there from auditions and casting and stuff so really as the md in a musical you're the longest thread that continuously connects through the project yeah because after press night so many of those people are gone yeah they're off to do other gigs mm-hmm. um so you're i do really feel a responsibility because you're often the one who yeah who has the most oversight even if you don't have very much power you have a lot of oversight <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so you can kind of you you i reckon it is it's a big part of it being able to take care of people yeah of course you've got delicate you know moments in your hands all the time yeah and music's hard like a lot of people can approach acting from an intuitive point of view Mm. and a lot of people have a lot of formative training in dance in music theater yep where if they're if they're hardcore triple threats they would often not always but often have been dancing from a really young age but not a lot of people come into music theater from a theoretical music upbringing totally so it's like how do i make that more accessible someone who was privileged enough to be taught to read music at the age of four or whatever like Mm. how do i then make that accessible for people who weren't yeah i mean it's a case of translation sometimes isn't it or interpretation yeah to bring that to people in a way that they can relate to and everyone relates to it differently as well everyone has their own wee cheats and techniques and tricks to get around a score yeah i mean mine is mine is full of numbers because i think in great chord and, and number so one is the root and then i've got like Remember that this bit is three up to four. Yeah. And it's just covered in numbers and it yeah, looks yeah. like madness to anyone else. But then I would be able to talk to you about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a four? You know? Yeah. And, and you, everyone else doesn't know what I'm on about or whatever. And you sort of have to be able to code switch as well. If you're talking to one performer in a certain language, you have right. to be able to swap over to be like, oh, and by which I mean it's, uh, you have to lift it a little bit here. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly, someone else yeah. you're telling them to not drop the fifth because it starts to sound a bit more like an org four you go no, no and, and someone some people just need quite metaphorical flowery language and sure. some people need direct anatomical advice and some people need <laughs> theoretical music advice and it's really fun and it, it means that the, it's a really active position especially when you're teaching music to a bunch of people mm. you're constantly getting feedback in terms of how they're responding and if they're connected and if they're happy Mm. and if they're bored and it's like constantly trying to kind of manage that energy in the room and and try to make it work for a whole lot of people who have very different experiences what an amazing way to to describe it i mean so much of that i've never even thought about before it's cool i love it it's yeah it's i feel like i was i feel like i have got like a really specific skill set which matches it yeah and it it's really enjoyable to do and it's it's like a it's a wild ride, even on a music hall of a really easy show with a small cast or whatever. It's still you can still spec into it with so much detail. Hmm. Mm. Well, you can make you can make stuff very quickly, but you can make it not very good. Yeah, totally. And, you, and something simple you can spend months on and make yeah. it really, really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. But it's also it's it's theatre, so it's it's efficient. You have to You've you got have to go as quickly as possible. Weeks or, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've just started on a new tour of two musicals together yeah one of which you've played before and yep. worked on before but yep. the other you haven't is that right that's right yeah so you've not have you seen a new life i've seen a recording of it when they did it at the oran moore right which is it's a wild show and is it all scored it is is it's that all how scored. andy works I don't yeah know. he yeah he does he writes the songs and then scores them mm-hmm. they're sometimes skeletal but it's it's more than enough to go on with a score like Got that you. right so this is a new i mean how much then is is you reading that score and then filling in blanks and how much is he 
telling you what how to fill in the blanks or are you asking him it's a bit of both andy's really collaborative and and like very open and not precious mm-hmm. he murders his darlings with such ease which Hurrah. is yeah which is so nice with it because you're you know it's 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 it can be a worrying thing to go into a room with a writer director and yeah. especially so with a writer composer director and often it's and it's not even a slant against people it's like it's hard to do that when you've written something to have someone and come and be like hey that doesn't work but mm. andy's really open to it and embraces it so it's kind of a bit of both and you know because he's he's written it and he scored it and sometimes those ideas are slightly different and then a vocalist comes and presents another idea again of course it's kind of this triumphant of it all comes from different places and it, and it kind of works out the way it needs to it's, fa- it's fascinating isn't it the whole process obviously you're just like built for it <laughs> as you've said you know and you just revel in it yeah, it's, which it's, is great it's great and it all feels it's a calm room for this show which I really appreciate. And it was the Love same it. when we did the last production of Crocodile Rock. Mm-hmm. It's very calm. It's very fun. It's hardworking, but it's um, there's no stress. Love out- that. Outwardly, at least, which makes a big difference. <laughs> Nobody's screaming at each other. No, because kind of there's no need. It's like... No, of course there's not. We're not. It's not open-heart surgery. No. We're not, like, controlling nuclear arms. We're just making some fucking... Sh- shows yeah yeah and if yeah. they go right great and if they don't it's fine <laughs> you know it's all good it's all good that's a beautiful thing but then as a, as a younger person you were a performer too yeah and is that is that kind of have you closed that chapter off or no, i still do a little bit i did a when i was back in new zealand we did a production of once last year where oh. i was like an actor md oh love which that, is yeah. a really great role mm. but it's not <laughs> the way i kind of talk about it is i've I like acting and I like performing. But mm. I don't want to be an actor. Yeah. Because. Like the life of an actor. That's exactly right. Because sure, that sure. is fucking grueling and I don't want to go back <laughs> yeah. to it. And it's just like no, auditioning all the time yeah. and and having to be so emotionally available all the time and things like that. And the amount mm. of rejection you face comparatively, it's really hard. And mm. I'm like, I'm full of respect for people who do it because it's it's so so hard so it's like if something comes up especially if something requires a hybrid role where you need someone yeah. who can be on stage and deliver a line here and there and also take care of the music I'm happy to do that but it's also MDs in New Zealand and I think in Scotland as well are just in so much more demand than actors yeah because it is a more specific skill set and a smaller pool of people yeah, yeah. and I, I don't think that says anything about how difficult one or the other is or how valuable it, it's not about that it's just a practical thing of yeah it's just maths yeah yeah 100 percent. um and so i just end up getting more work as an md than i do as an actor and it's fine with me i don't really mind either way yeah well ha- if, if you're not precious either way then no. that's cool too isn't it i'm just happy to not be in an office you know? yeah to Any, be enjoying your work yeah. I mean, it's such that's such a good baseline for me yeah i do loads of different stuff yeah, and people yeah. Are like do you not prefer so i'm like oh, yeah, yeah i don't know i do one for a bit and then i'm like do you know it'd be nice to do something else yeah and then it's a joy to be able to yeah i mean what a privilege really yeah i prefer complain. paying my rent that's my like i'm into that yeah 100 <laughs> percent into yeah. that <laughs> so what were you like as a kid tell me about about that uh i was I was deeply into music, into performing music, and kind of quite competitive. I was like, I was a precocious child, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And my parents, I think, are both like quite humble people. I don't think that came from them very much. But I was. <laughs> Where like, did it come from then? I was a, you know, I, I think I got 
I got teased a bit as a young child for having red hair, as you know people do. Mm. And I think it would have gotten to the age of about ten or eleven, where I figured out that if my ego was big enough, no one would really find any joy in making fun of me. <laughs> That's so. The way to combat is just to come at it, like yeah, full and just be like, I, I, I think so highly of myself that no one's ever possibly going to try to. <laughs> pull me down <laughs> i love it and like it's such a great well, theory yeah and it's it's like whatever jokes you you make about me i've already made about myself mm-hmm. and i think that's kind of where a bit of that precociousness came from was like a an anathema to to being bullied as a lot of kids are and stuff and and that's yeah the answer to it was ego which i don't know if i recommend <laughs> i don't know if that's like a, a good yeah. a healthy response to have or not but it was like i i quickly kind of started realizing oh i can do anything i can i can get over this i can do what i want mm. and from there really didn't want to be like my parents my mom was a financial planner and my dad's a dentist and they both love their jobs a lot and were able to provide for us and they still do that to this day you know those are still their jobs but i remember being like i don't want to do either of those things Mm -hmm. (laughs) that Mm -hmm. doesn't appeal to me i want to have something that's a bit more freelancey and and that's sort of based around music so when i was a teenager i kind of i was playing a lot of jazz i was playing a lot of sax at the time Mm -hmm. and i thought i could either go to jazz school or you know try out for jazz school and 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 chase sax or i could go and do music theater really go for that instead and i think i thought that music theater had more commercial outcomes like i could make more money in music theater than i could in jazz which Mm. i think is maybe true but uh, (laughs) for some people yeah i I still don't think i i there are probably careers i could have picked which made more money financial planning and dentistry being true as well You said your parents didn't really enjoy their jobs. Yeah, they, yeah, they do. That's wonderful for me to hear. Yeah, because the main reason I don't want to do either of those things is I know I wouldn't enjoy. Yeah, not not partly because I couldn't either, but yeah. like the it seems to me the the majority of people are out there doing jobs they don't like. Yeah. So, like, fair play to them. I think they both went into those paths because they wanted to help people, though. Yeah. And they both do get to help people a lot in a very specific way, um, and they get to you know take care of people in a way that it's quite hard to take care of yourself sure and the the helping is what attracts them about it which i think is so cool but you said you've already used the phrase helping people in reference to your work as an md so yeah i think that came later though i think when i decided to chase the the arts it was selfish (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) i want to be happy i want to be fulfilled sure and then a bit later on i was like oh i can actually help people as well but again that's what it is to be young yeah you go what do i want (laughs) yeah yeah it's interesting to, to because there are two ways you can go if you're bullied really mm. you can go right in mm. and lose all confidence or you can throw confidence out into the world mm. do you think that that specific kind of experience had an impact on your choices later in life i think so because i think it was a it was a big win for me as a kid yeah and i think i was i got the idea that i could have other wins yeah where i wanted which you know i think also came from being someone you know i grew up middle class i grew up white i was i identified as a boy when i was young and like certainly i benefited from a lot of male privilege so mm-hmm. you know i was i was ostensibly straight i was 
I was benefiting from a heap of privilege and I think there was a lot of unpacking from that I had to do where I was like man I had it so easy as a kid and then I look back and I'm like oh yeah that's probably got a lot to do with it that that's and that why, and that yeah. and that and so that's me at private school that's me in music lessons that's me you know and I'm just yeah a lot of those wins I'm now sort of unpacking a bit more and being like yeah most people don't have it that easy so I think that that tied into it as well yeah but it it was a with all of those things combined, it was like, a, if I work hard enough, I can do this. Yeah, and it, it would be foolish to deny our privilege. Yeah. Pretend that it doesn't exist. Yeah. Because it's there. Yeah, for sure. I have a lot of that, and then I have guilt about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, but then is there any point? Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Might as well get on with it. For sure. I think that um, it was more the realization of all of this success doesn't hasn't just come from within me. Right. It's not like I've just reached inside myself and pulled out a career. It's like, yeah. I worked hard for sure, but <laughs> there's so many things. caveats that like totally. that led to that as well. But I think, yeah, yeah, that, that was kind of what, one of the things that being bullied and overcoming that was one of the wins that kind of led me to be like, this is a really hard career path, but I reckon I can do it. Yeah, I've got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got success to prove it, or I've got right, you know, yeah. track record of yeah, yeah. overcoming stuff. I've got an ego the size of Mars. <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about identifying as a boy at that yeah, time, yeah. and then did you? Was there a was there an understanding in you that there was something else to come in terms of your identification? Not gender? at all. When I was you a kid, eh? not at all. Like it wasn't actually until I started coming to well maybe a little before I started before I came to Glasgow that I started to explore different parts of of gender expression Mm -hmm. so I when I moved to Glasgow I was 25 or 24 and had 30 kgs of luggage that I had that was my allowance to come from New Zealand and I really wanted to bring my keyboard because I didn't want to buy another one over there. And the keyboard was 29.5 kgs. <laughs> okay. So I was like, you know what? I'll just I'll bring some hand luggage. Wow. And we'll go from there. Are you serious? Yeah. You moved, so you moved countries with hand with luggage? With my keyboard and hand luggage, yeah. Holy moly, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I didn't really have very many clothes. I had a couple of pairs of shoes and a couple of pairs of jeans and, and some other stuff. And when I got here, I was... I sort of... I don't know. I took the opportunity to be like, well, I can redesign my wardrobe more or less from scratch. Ah. What do I want that to look like? And I think for a while I had been discontented with the amount of options available to you as a man in terms of expression. Mm -hmm. Like you can get some nice socks (laughs) or you can get some trousers that have a pattern on them or like it's fuck all that Mm. you're allowed to do within the restraints of traditional masculinity Mm. and i was like that doesn't seem at all much fun to me and so initially like looking outside of shirts and trousers came from a a a wanting to express more and just to have more options Mm -hmm. and i think without realizing i had kind of taken a step there of being like i don't feel like i have to uh, fit into that at all Mm. And so started wearing dresses and skirts and blouses and earrings and heels and all of these things in in tandem with, with wearing what we'd consider more masculine clothing. Mm-hmm. And that felt, it's not like, uh, it's not like it felt 
right in a way that jeans felt wrong. Yeah. It wasn't like I put on a dress and I was like, this is the feeling I've been waiting for. Yeah. Which is kind of, I think, what I expected it might feel like. But it felt the same. It felt indistinguishable. Ah. It was just like, this is that and this is that as well. Yeah. And both of these things are just clothes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're all clothes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and so that that sort of got me thinking about, about gender. And then I, I don't think I had kind of spent a lot of time thinking about being non-binary or or other people being non-binary and there are a growing amount of people around me who started using they them pronouns and who started Mm -hmm. you know casting off the sex that they were assigned at birth and it was about a year ago or not even that i kind of i'd started using he they pronouns for about two years and then was finally just like it doesn't he doesn't feel right anymore or not as right as they them does mm-hmm. and i think to the surprise of no one came out of the closet it wasn't even like oh we always knew they were gay it was like i wasn't trying to hide my gender expression at all it was just a kind of a confirmation of what i was already doing do you mean you come out of the closet as gay as uh non-binary oh as non-binary right right right, right. yeah yeah mm-hmm. but like in comparison to you know that cliche of of answering that with being like, oh, we know, we know. It's, it was like, it wasn't even like I was trying to hide it. It was just like, this is Andy. Everyone knows that's Andy. Yeah. And it's kind of just putting a label on it, which which, which I felt like worked for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And almost a foregone conclusion by the time yeah, you got to so. that stage. I think so. Yeah, yeah. How does the, how does the he, they thing work, practically speaking? If you have... So... Is it a choice for other people? It's a great question. It's, it's I think that... Um, it depends person to person, but I think generally you can pick and you can switch them and you can have fun with it and right. you can mix and match it. I see. And it, it, it really depends on some people are like, uh, I prefer they, but he also fits me. And some people are like, it's 50-50 weighted. I really don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, Jonathan Van Ness uses he, she, they pronouns. I was going to say, so there must <laughs> be he, great. she Yeah, stuff. he, she, they, and I, mm-hmm. I like it. And anything that... Anything that uh, brings how f- absurd gender is to light is good with me because it's so weird and it's so performative and mm. it's so as soon as you can start like pointing that out and making fun of it and being like it doesn't matter what pronoun you use for me because it's all horse shit <laughs> it starts to make sense which, yeah, which yeah. is why i quite like mixed pronouns like that yeah but the highlights that yeah but it's, so, it's, it's so weird what we do as society yeah and the way we split people up that it's it's like actually it's nothing and it's both and it's all of them and it's none of them and it's <laughs> yeah it's it's just like everything you think about gender could be deconstructed if you try hard enough <laughs> yeah i mean i suppose it must lead you down rabbit holes of of research and finding out things totally. like where all this came from or where it yeah. all started right yeah 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 i mean and i mean like our western idea of of gender nonconformity is relatively new but mm-hmm. you know in other cultures it's been going on for a long time yeah there's in, in Māori and Pacific cultures, which is obviously I have a, a close connection to in New Zealand, it's 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 as old as the cultures itself. There's a there's a a tradition in, in Pacific culture called Fafafine, which is, is you know, a, a, a trans woman, but that's not quite the it's not quite the terminology, it's not quite right, it's not a direct parallel. Got you. But it's um it's it's just has existed for a long time within that culture. So it's not a newfangled no, idea. No, we're just at playing. Ca- we're playing catch up. Really, well. really, really bad in the <laughs> in the West. But 
And, and, and the idea of binary gender is therefore a colonial idea. I see what you because, mean. Because it's, it's not, like that's existed everywhere. Gender outside of the binary spectrum has existed across the world, but us enforcing a binary gender is a colonial thing, right. which is why part of the reason it's so important to unpack it, I think. Of course it is, because mm. we're beginning, or we have begun to unpack so many of those other things totally. that colonialism you know, forced on yeah. people. Yeah. So gradually, presumably, there'll be more and more yeah. to emerge. Can't wait. <laughs> Who knows, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I wonder, it, it can't be denied that, that working in the arts is, is an, presumably an easier place mm. to experience this journey and let it unfold mm. than many other walks of life. Definitely. I think about that a lot. Like if uh-huh. I think about doing something else, which I'm not against, like I've kind of always been open to the idea of working in another sector mm-hmm. or even a different part of the arts sector. Mm-hmm. And I just sometimes think, I'm just like, that would be so hard. Yeah. If you worked in IT and you worked in an office and it would, it's not impossible. And a lot of workplaces at least in the UK or New Zealand, are taking steps to make sure it's safer for people, mm-hmm. which is really, really cool. But it's like, in theatre, you just, you just say, I'm non-binary, and people are like, sweet ass, and that's the end of the conversation a lot of the fire, time. Flat ahead, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so are they, look. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is, I'm so grateful to be in the arts for sure. that reason, because you do, you, you do have a lot more, a lot a wider spectrum of self-expression at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It, the question, I suppose, is are, are people in offices and places like that hiding things because they don't feel that they can express them? Presumably. Or maybe they, they haven't even realised. Yeah, maybe it's, it's possible, it's, right? It's been repressed and it's been internalised. And yeah. it makes me sad to think about. Like, I don't think artists have any more right to self expression than anyone else. Of course not. But we're a little more used to it. Yeah, but that's it, right? That's all. That's yeah. the only difference. So it does make me really sad to think about. But there are also people out there who have nothing to do with the arts, who are killing it and leading the way, 100%. and being really brave, and yeah. and end up being like iconic within their own places. And it's so important because for everyone else around these people, they don't get exposed to transness mm-hmm. if if someone doesn't step up and and be themselves. And it's nice that we are surrounded with this bubble in theatre where we have a lot of interaction with that kind of thing and a lot mm. of people making work about gender and all of this. And so the people around that theatrical bubble all get experience to it and get used to it. And then when their kid comes out as trans in 20 years' time, they're prepared to deal with it. Of course. But yeah. if you don't have that experience, it's like, how are you supposed to know? You've you've been raised in the patriarchy just as, just the same as everyone else. And And what happens to those kids? Well, it's not the fault of those individuals because it's... Product of the society we're raised in, mate. And we're very lucky, as you say, in the arts because we get exposed to stuff and Mm. we learn constantly. Mm. Um, We we get to be at the forefront of that stuff. Totally, yeah. How how do you feel in terms of the arts organisations or the places you go, um, you know, regarding what what places are doing to make these things more comfortable, Mm. easier, safer? How, How much of that is real and felt and how much of it is performative yeah do you feel to a certain extent i don't care about that distinction and mm-hmm. i think that distinction is important don't get me wrong like i think it's really important that people are genuinely trying to deconstruct gender um or colonialism or um 
you know, or, or classic chauvinism or anything. These it's really important to examine these things. Yeah. But I also like if if I don't think I'm being discriminated against, or the people around me are being discriminated against, whether that's <laughs> why performative that is. or yeah. whether like whether it's because your boss told you you're going to get fired if you don't get this person's pronouns right, or whether it's because you've gone home and practiced this person's pronouns, it doesn't make a difference to me as long as you get it right, you know, and as long as I don't feel like you're being discriminatory against me or against. Yeah, you know, against sure. my black colleagues or against the women in the workplace or or, or, or anything like that. So uh, it's hard to say. I, I feel like I feel like theatre is doing really well within the workplace compared to where other other yeah. industries are. Sure, yeah. I'm sure they could always do better. But um Yeah, I I honestly I don't care. It's it's I a, think that's healthy. Yeah. Because if you're if we're at a place yeah. and it works. Yeah. Sometimes we don't need to dredge it up too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's plenty of other shit going on. Especially when it becomes generational as well, that if, if one generation is uh, compelled to to act a certain way, mm. then their kids just get used to that behavior. And then when the next generation does it, it's not because they're being compelled to, it's just because it's what you do. Yeah. You you ask people's pronouns or, you know, you, that's, it's just, which is, which is, I think, where the big change comes is generationally. Of course it's it It's like does. we graft really hard to do it so that our kids seeing us do it, see us do it, and then... It's just normal it's then, just isn't normal. it? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I sometimes think, I wonder what life will be like in 50 years or 100 yeah. years. Yeah. Or, you know, so 50, hopefully within our lifetime. Mm. Like, it's it's exciting it to is. think what could be. Yeah. Because so much has changed even in the short time that I've been an adult. Mm. Huge changes. Crocodile Rock is set in the 90s and it's a it's a, it's a a coming-of-age story about a guy who grows up gay in rural Scotland. Mm. And the 90s was mid-AIDS crisis and Section 28 and a lot of horrible things going on in the UK, but, but everywhere as well. And fast forward 30 years, it's a different place and like being gay is quite commonplace and I feel like there's a lot more acceptance. I feel like transness is maybe at a similar place that that being gay yeah. was 30 years ago. It's not a direct analogue, but like I think in 30 years from now, mm. maybe transness will be as accepted as, as, as gayness is now, maybe. Like it's a ha- yeah. it's a happy thought. It is, <laughs> and know. then I can't help but wonder what will have replaced. You know, yeah, what will yeah, be yeah. the next thing that's thirty years behind or something? Yeah, yeah. Which is cool. I'm like, I can't wait for a generation <laughs> below me to teach me how much of a dick I'm being. <laughs> yeah, you'll be yeah. the old person. And you'll I be know. Like, I'll well, be. <laughs> what's all this new stuff? <laughs> I can't get my head around this. Whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this it's right for it's right for comedy as well. Yeah, is laughing at the kind of. Uh, absurdity of the, the generational gap and going yeah the hell is all this and yeah i think we have to laugh we do but i also want people to be excited like the the best the best boomers i've seen are people who are excited to learn and who take it who like take the blessing of having someone teach them something yeah that's how i want to be i want to be like delighted by being wrong and having been wrong all my life instead of being defensive about it I think it's easy to be defensive and it's an understandable reaction but mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I really want to stay excited to learn because yeah. it's a real privilege to see how wrong you've been and to like grow and become a better person yeah and I think I worry that the more we stay indoors shut the curtains yeah. watch Netflix 
eat comfort eat and that type of life mm. because of the rat race or whatever you want to call it the the further away we could get from that type of attitude that i'm excited to learn yeah that you know and i think lockdown did that kind of could have set us back yeah in a lot of ways we become more isolated more insular totally so being back out is wonderful for so many reasons yeah. but to get to have a conversation like this and to hope that people hear it yeah and are spurred on yeah you know to be excited to be wrong as you say Totally. I find that hugely exciting. Mm. What's the kind of public reaction to a show like Crocodile Rock? I think particularly given that mo- normal people are seeing it because it's going, it's been going to yeah. places where yeah. know, it's not like a theatre crowd as much. No, for sure. I think it's been it's been overwhelmingly really positive. Um, there's it, it's a it's a cool piece of writing because you kind of end up coming for Millport which is the town where it's set at mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and staying for this queer story, which yeah. is why I think it's, it's like, it's a bait. It's a really, Clever co- little hook, yeah, it's yeah. a cool thing to get like a slightly less active theatrical audience in. Mm. And I think it's, it's been good. And I think the writing is sensitive enough that it welcomes people, welcomes people into that story. It doesn't kind of berate them too much. <laughs> and I think there is room in, for berating theatre like I think that art can be really confrontational yeah that's just not what this show in particular is doing Mm. so we've had we've had a lot of mums come up to us afterwards and tell us that their son's gay and they really connect to it because there's a big there's a lot of mum stuff in the show yeah without going too deep into it there's Mm -hmm. there's like a lot of stuff about the mum's journey about the dad's journey and it makes me think if there's that many mums who come up to us and say that it moved them because their son's gay, there must be a lot of parents out there who didn't accept their kids and who are watching this show yeah. and seeing themselves in the dad. In the dad. Mm. And that's awesome. <laughs> like that's yeah. cool yeah. to be able to, even if it doesn't work, even if it's just like just vindictive and just getting to have a stab at these awful men, then that's cool as well. <laughs> I do like that. Yeah, it's hard to deny, I think. So, to even just to show that, that mirror and go, yeah. there you go. So there's the reaction we see, by which I assume there must be an equal and opposite reaction that we don't. Because the dads aren't, or whoever they're not, they are, not coming up to you. They're so not coming up to I, you. Right then. enough, I was very I angry. hate my son. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get as much of that. No. Although people do say bizarre they things do. to you in foyers, don't they? Yeah, they really do. do. Have you found at all that people ask you questions about your your look or any of that stuff in bit. these little towns the the thing people often think that it's a true story which it's not it's got a lot of elements of truth to it mm-hmm. Andy grew up rural and he consulted a lot with people who grew up gay in Scotland so it's kind of a a combination of a few different lived experiences but it's yeah. essentially fiction um so people are often like are you Stephen? Like, is this is this show about you to me ah. or to the cast or to Andy? And we kind of talk about how it's we all connect with little bits of that story. Got yeah. But it's not it's not an autobiographical work or anything like that. Of course, yeah. But people do. I think people like often older people don't really know what to make of me a little bit. Yeah, I, mm, I enjoy that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, it's chaos. I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. And some some people do. Some people just some people are really complimentary. But kids in general are way better. And are way more versed and know what's going on a bit more. and That's so cool because kids, the kids I grew up with mm. would not be. No. 
I don't think my kids, the kids I grew up with either would be. No, it makes me so sad. I was in Panto when I was a kid. Yeah. And all the whole year group at my school in at the Mitchell in Glasgow. Nice, yeah. You know where the behind the library? Yeah. Beautiful theatre. Um, yeah. We used to do the panto there every year with our stage school. Nice. And I played Wishy Washy this one year. Yeah. And the whole year group came to see me and I was so excited because I think I kinda thought that I would be at last vindicated <laughs> from all the teas and yeah. everything because they knew I had done shows and yeah. whatever and I wasn't uh, into football and all the normal stuff yeah. that you, you expected to do so I thought they're going to see me and they'll be like okay so I get <laughs> we it we get it yeah <laughs> this is wonderful <laughs> such talent on display blah 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 and then um, I ran out to see them all afterwards and oh, they were all no. on coaches already leaving and uh, my catchphrase was wishy washy wishy washy yeah <laughs> and everyone in the audience would go wishy washy wishy washy yo <laughs> and the next day I was standing at the vending machine getting a can of juice and someone said to me wishy washy wishy wash your pants <laughs> and that was the the, oh, no. the height of congratulations I got <laughs> that was it and it, you know I kind of that was just me playing a little boy yeah and I was a little boy yeah and I had a pink sparkly hat on. And, you know, I mean, it was hardly the height of gender nonconformity. Yeah. But it was enough to be out of the norm to be hugely made fun of. Mm. So, like, what what chance did we have? Yeah, it's tough. I, I, I'm glad to be an adult. <laughs> and it's not like I don't care about what anyone thinks. I care a great deal about what people think. And even... Even people on the street can upset me, you know. Really? Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, for sure, it's 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 a part of it. But trying to do this as a kid would have been real hard. Would yeah. have been really, really brutal. Do you mean the people on the street say things to you? It's They don't say things as much to me, but there's a lot of looks and there's a lot of, like, stares and laughter and, and like, and pointing and things like oh, that. okay. And I think that, like outside of the moment if i look back on it it, it's it's probably harmless and it's probably curiosity and surprise and i don't think it's derision a lot of the time but it's hard when you're kind of like in the moment being gawked at yeah and like my favorite thing that someone said to me after a show which i think it was for once or something it was someone i sort of knew but it was an acquaintance that i came out wearing a dress and they said that dress doesn't really look good on you. The cut's not right. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome. Because <laughs> you haven't said you look bad because you're wearing a dress. You've no. said you look bad because you're wearing that dress. <laughs> and she was right. It was like the wrong cut. It, yeah. it wasn't short enough. That's an awesome bit of rudeness. Yeah. I, I, like, I love that. I, <laughs> I, I really, I want more of that for people to be like, it's not wrong that you're wearing a dress, but like, you're doing it wrong. Wrong, wrong color. <laughs> yeah, it's, lipstick it's, doesn't match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. I really do. Yeah, yeah. People are understandably a little bit anxious to make that, and I, I get that. And like the care is really cool that people have that level of care. Yeah. But like, there's a level of acceptance that comes with being able to criticize what someone's wearing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. The small picture of what they're wearing, not the big picture of what they're wearing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Has the balance shifted since those first days when you came with the, the two pairs of jeans, and then you? expanded the wardrobe and switched is there do you know what i mean if you call one thing like if the jeans are the jeans still there the jeans are still there and it's a really interesting relationship with it because sometimes i dress in a a fairly like male passing way Mm -hmm. and i like to think that it's just because that's what i feel like doing today Mm -hmm. and i should i don't owe anyone 
femininity or androgyny. But there's a part of me that's scared that I'm doing that not because I'm feeling like I want to wear that today, but because I'm scared of of being laughed at or I'm scared of being, yeah. you know. Does it depend on where you know you have to go that Sometimes, day? yeah. Sometimes yeah. it is. And, and I don't know. I'm still working that out. I'm still yeah. unpacking that, whether it's like I'm doing that just because I want to or... I'm doing that because I'm a little bit scared, but I just try to, I try to exercise forgiveness either way to be like, it's okay to be like scared of that. That's a scary thing. And if sometimes you want to hide away, you're allowed to do that and it doesn't make you less non-binary and it doesn't make you anything like that. Mm. It just is. And it's, it's fine. And you don't owe anyone anything. I suppose when you're working for a prolonged period and, in a rehearsal place of that's owned by a national theatre, for totally. example, yeah. you probably feel like much more freedom of yeah. expression is yeah. available to you. Yeah, yeah, you get away with a lot more. Yeah, that's fun. It is really nice. It's and it's again, it's a privilege. Like it's mm. it's a privilege that not a lot of people have. But I also I rock a true. Like I look really good. I have some good pairs of trousers that I look really good in, and, and I don't yeah. think I should deny the world that. <laughs> No, please it's a don't. a for everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. You talked earlier about, about developing an ego deliberately, really, to sort of combat yeah. things that were being slung at you. Where do you think the ego's at now, now that some years have passed? I think it's come back a little bit, mm. but I think it's it's always the answer to feeling insecure or or feeling outside pressure or feeling, you know, it's not, it's never... I am myself and I am whole and I am complete in what I am. It's I'm the fucking best. <laughs> so if it's because it, of something that's come yeah, before that. Yeah. So someone if I if I start to feel like I'm I'm not worthy or I'm not uh, I'm not pulling it off or I'm or anything like that. The the response is not a, a middle kind of. It's a right. very opposite thing of being like I'm Andy fucking Manning. I'm doing this and I'm doing it really well. Mm. And it becomes like a response, like a defense mechanism. Yeah. And again, I don't think it's the most help, like the most healthy way to respond to it because it, it, you know, it's, it's arrogance and it's, that's, that can be an unattractive quality and that can be, that can isolate people Mm -hmm. when you kind of react like that. So it's mostly an internal narrative kind of thing now, the way I use it. But I think it is a really important part of me. Yeah. And I'm loath to let it go. I'm, I'm I'm open to sort of letting it change a bit and to to maybe present it in a more palatable way. But I, f- I, I think it's a fundamental part of me and it's like a sum of all my experiences. And it's really important. I think we all have an ego and there's no, yeah. there's no pretending that, that we don't. Mm. It's part of human nature. Mm. But what I've learned recently is, or been reminded of recently, is that you can say I'm the best or I'm the worst and they're both actually rooted in ego. Yeah. Because look at me, I'm the piece of shit at the centre yeah. of the universe. No one cares about you that much. Yeah, exactly. No one cares for, about for you, you to be either. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But then we're also totally. talking about the difference between ego and self-esteem and, and yeah. that that healthy thing of going, Yeah, I'm I'm doing okay and yeah, yeah, forgiving yeah. yourself. That's all the self-esteem stuff, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. but there's such a fine line between the two. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of my humour if like my self deprecating humour is being really egotistic and mm. allowing people to laugh at how silly that is. Yeah, I do that too, actually. Because <laughs> saying things like, like I'm the absolute greatest person that's ever lived is like, 
clearly not true and like i'm trying to invite people to laugh but i think maybe sometimes people think that i mean it right. so it's a, that's a dangerous yeah, area, it is. Isn't it? yeah. <laughs> but at the same time it's 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 uh sacred to me that ego because it's what's pulled me through true yeah. anyone telling me i'm not good enough so i'm reluctant to let it go entirely but it, i've come to the point where it, i'm okay with questioning it a little bit and as i was saying before like realizing how much of the good luck i've had has come from privilege as well so it's kind of like it's got a few more ifs and buts mixed in with it yeah but it's important to me like it's it's a big part of me yeah and also working in this business we do need a bit of that yeah yeah, we can't shun it we need to it's a tool i think in the toolkit and i like to think that if it's done right it invites other people to be confident in themselves as well yeah, have, the, you, have you found that? I think so. It's hard to say. I, I really don't know. But I like to imagine that when you're yourself to your truest extent, you open the door for other people to be themselves too. I would feel that. I mean, I think I do already get that feeling. There's a kind of like, look at them. Yeah. doing Really fucking doing yeah. their thing. Yeah. And it makes me go, oh, so it's okay to. I want, I want everyone to feel gender euphoria, not just trans and non-binary people. If people are cis men and they've examined themselves and questioned gender and deconstructed it to the best of their ability and have realized that, yep, no, I'm a cisgendered man, I want you to love it and I want you to Mm. rock it and I want you to, because when you love something like that, you shouldn't be afraid to question it and figure out how it's, that it has negative parts as well as positive parts and like, Mm. that's what gender euphoria is, is feeling like so settled in who you are that you're okay with it being questioned and to question it yourself and like i want everyone to feel that it's a great feeling and it's i don't think it's reserved for trans people and non-binary people i think it's like it has to be fought for and won often Mm. if you're trans yeah of course or if you're non-binary it's it's not free but it's it's still available and i like i want people to be to be happy and proud of who they are the same is true of sexuality right definitely yeah why why as you know straight identifying people or whatever can we not have yeah the, uh, the euphoria that yeah. can come with it because because the fear the fear of homo the fear that homophobes have is that someone else is going to take away what they have and going to make them be someone different mm. and if you're truly euphoric and confident in your orientation you don't have that fear of course not and like no one can touch that that's that's yours so I want that as well as like there's no one's going to take away what you're doing. No one's going to make your kids gay or any of that horse shit. Like (laughs) it's fine. It's fucking hilarious. They're either gay or they're not. Neither I nor you have control over that. hundred percent. And it's like, if you're straight, then fuck yeah, be straight and and be nice and be respectful and like, and don't be afraid because there's Mm. nothing. We don't want what you have. (laughs) That's yours. You can have it. We've got our thing. Yeah. Work away, get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> Wear whatever you want. Yeah. So before we go, tell me about the YouTube channel. Of course. So I've just started making YouTube videos. Right. Um, I had a friend down in London who's a Kiwi as well who does ASMR videos. Right. And he's kicked off on YouTube. His name's Atlas. And he, when I was down there recently, he was like, have you ever thought about making YouTube videos? And I spend a lot of time on YouTube. I watch a lot of streamers and things like that. And so he put me onto this corner of youtube which was music analysis song analysis oh person sits at a keyboard and sort of listens to music and reacts to it and and explains it to a lay person or to a musician or things like that yeah so i've started doing that i've set up a wee like a wee corner of my room with my plants and my keyboard 
And cool. so the the channel is called Mama Andy, Mama Space Andy. And it's, yeah, I started it about a month ago. And come along and subscribe. Have a good time. You'll so learn a thing or two. What's that? M-U-M-M-E? M-A-M-A. Oh, Mama. Mama right, Mama Andy. Space Andy. Okay. And you'll see there's a wee cartoon of me in a dress by a piano. You can't miss it. Superb. Mama Andy. Look forward to it. Cool. Listen, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you very much for having me, Brian. It's been an absolute joy. And I feel like I've learned some stuff. And I feel... Yes confident euphoric perhaps (laughs) going into the rest of my day thanks so much (laughs) thank you well that conversation made my day and i hope it made yours too i hope it's been of some use to you as i always say whether it's inspired some change uh, confirmed some uh, some feelings perhaps or it's just offered you a bit of respite from whatever else is going on in the day um, and brought back your creativity to the fore I hope it's done some or all of these things for you and you've enjoyed the episode and I hope you'll keep listening there's over 275 episodes now and you can dig back into our archives on your podcast provider whatever it happens to be they're all free and there's literally hundreds of names there of guests that you can listen to um, I've spoken to so many people it's been amazing and it's not ending anytime soon I'm looking forward to more episodes soon I'm going to get together I hope with the team behind the Janice and Frank story aha uh-huh, the Janice and Frank story which is me Cole Stewart our producer and Gary McNair our director I'm hoping to get them in the studio for a wee chat at some point just to talk about the process because I like to do that when I'm doing a show if I can share a wee bit of the process with you And other than that, it's just business as usual, talking to as many creative folk as we can and getting into as many of those corners as possible um, to light them up and find out more about them and challenge ourselves, ask some questions. That's what we want to do. So I hope that you've enjoyed it. I hope that you're keeping well and that you're um, looking after yourself. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to to the rest of the day and to the rest of life at the moment which is is a joy because it's it's not always how I feel but today I feel positive, buoyed, I feel creative uh, and ready to go so that's all thanks to you listening to me um, and to Andy for talking to me so I think that's about all from me it's about time I called it a day I look forward to speaking to you next week same time, same place until then I'll just say what I always say cheerio now